Um, that's nice. That was a nice prayer, Rich. I appreciate that. <laughs> that was lovely. Um, so as, as Rich said, I'm one of the elders across uh, Mosaic. If you don't know what that means, it, it means I'm called by God to love you. And I, I do. I love you. I, I hold you very closely to my heart. That's not meant to be a joke. That was meant to be sincere. Why are you... <laughs> Literally, I don't know why you're laughing at that. Okay, so we're doing these uh, three workplace Sundays. This year, this is the second one. And this is so we can appreciate and celebrate that all we do in the workplace, but also so that we can equip one another as we uh, live for God in the workplace. So whether, you're, whether your workplace is being a full-time parent, or whether it's looking for work, or whether it's a student, or whether it's in the job you're currently in at the moment, most of us spend most of our waking lives engaging in the workplace in some way. Uh, it's hugely important to us, and it's a hugely important part of God's purposes that he has for the world. And the workplace is also the context where you'll probably make some of the biggest decisions that you'll make in life. And so this, uh, this afternoon, we're going to look at how you make those decisions in a godly way. And there'll be decisions that affect you, your careers, your prospects, your salaries, what you give your time and your energy to. But there'll also be decisions that affect other people, like what are you like as a colleague to work alongside? What, you, what influence do you bring when you arrive uh, in your workplace? And decisions that will have an effect beyond your workplace. Uh, decisions that will have an effect on how, how does my work bring good into the world and good into society? Am I contributing something that's valuable and helpful and constructive in some way? Uh, whatever role you have in the workplace, your decisions matter. Uh, and the reality is lots of the decisions that we face in the workplace are not, they're not simple. They're not a simple case of yes or no. They're complicated. And so we need uh, wisdom uh, when we think through how we make godly decisions. Um, I just want you to take a few seconds and just think, what's, what's a big decision that I'm facing at the moment in my workplace? What, what does that look like for you at the moment? So for me, I, I'm thinking ahead a year down the line, and I've got a big decision about what I invest my time and my energies into. Uh, for you, you might be high up in an organization. You're hiring people. You're firing people. You're managing projects. You're creating culture. You might be involved in service provision. You're offering a service to customers or clients or patients. Uh, for students, you might be going home and working out, how do I spend my summer wisely? You might not be going home. You might be a postgrad student who's like, I hate undergrads. Why do they all leave in May. I'm sticking out doing my dissertation until the end of August. Uh, for others of you, you're like, I'm just working hard trying to find a job. And some of you are like, hey, you guys have got it easy because my job's 24-7 and cries on demand. A child. Just in case you were like, what's that? We face lots of decisions to make, and the decisions matter to us, and they matter to God as well. He cares about what we're facing. The workplace is not this separate sphere in our lives, as though God matters on a Sunday, but the rest of our lives he's not really bothered about. No, God's bothered about 24-7 of our lives. He's present in all of it, and he's working through all of us in all of it as well. Colossians 3, 24 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you guys do whatever you do whatever I'm really emphasizing it whatever you do work at it with all your heart 
as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Jesus, the Lord Christ, you are serving. Whatever you do, you are serving Jesus. Whatever we do, we're serving Jesus. We're trying to please him. We're living for him as our master. So I want you to hold on to two things. We're working for God in whatever we do, and God's involved in all of our work, whatever that may be. In light of that, I want us to to look at four ways that God helps us to make decisions in the workplace. Four ways that God, through scripture, uh, helps us to make godly decisions when we're in the workplaces. And four, kind of four things are God's commands, God's principles, God's role models, and God's world. That's what we're quickly going to look at. So when you are facing a decision in the workplace and you're not quite sure what to do, one thing you can do is look to the Bible and say, is there a specific command that helps shape and define my action for this decision? A really, ex- a really simple example, you're facing a decision about whether you lie at work. It can feel like there's loads of good reasons to lie at work, loads of them. It could be that you want to avoid being told off. It could be that Uh, Your colleagues messed up and you're trying to cover for them. It could be that you're trying to sell a product and it's not really a lie. It's a a white lie. It kind of does what you're asking it to do, but it doesn't really. Scripture's really clear. Lying is against God's will. We're not meant to lie. Leviticus 19.11, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Immediately you can see that if you go to scripture and look for some of his commands to help you shape your decisions in the workplace, following God's commands doesn't necessarily mean that makes your workplace any easier. It's probably going to make it more difficult. It probably means you're going to go against the grain more often than you're going to go with the grain. There are times when following God's commands is going to place us in awkward positions or difficult positions. That's why it's so important we remember those verses from Colossians 3. It's the Lord Christ we are serving. It's the reward from him that we're looking forward to. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives, including our careers, including our reputation with our colleagues, and to give ourselves to him. So number one, you look to scripture. Are there any commands that you can follow? Number two, you can look to scripture for God's principles. Because let's face it, there are going to be a load of decisions that you face in the workplace that scripture has nothing to say about in the form of commands. So what should your social media strategy be at work? You're like flicking through the Bible. It's got to be in there tweeting, like going to the concordance tea, tweet the bird's tweet. It's not quite what I was after. How much should I charge for my services? It's not really a price list there in scripture that you can call upon. How should we interview colleagues? Sorry, how should we interview applicants for a post? There's not like an interview uh, section of scripture. You could be like, should we cast lots? You know, Acts chapter 1 style. Don't do that. There are some things that there are no commands about in Scripture, but God still cares about them. And there are underlying principles in Scripture that actually really help shape how we approach those things in the workplace. So think of uh, Mark 12, 29 to 31, uh, in response to a question about the most important commandment. I know it's a commandment, but really it's a principle. Uh, 
Jesus says the most important one. What's the most important commandment? Jesus says the most important one, the one you really need to hold on to is this. Hear, O Israel, hear, O people of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So how do you do your social media strategy at work in a way that you would want other companies to do their social media strategy towards you? In an honoring way, in an exalting way, in a way that lifts the culture of your industry? How do you interview people coming for a job application? Well, how would you feel if you're going for a job? How would you want to be greeted? How would you want to be welcomed? What pricing, this is a trickier one, what pricing would you want to receive free? You can't quite do that though, but what pricing fair? Fair pricing for the service that you're providing. You're not looking to extort. What does it look like for your workplace to care for the environment, for care, to care for the underprivileged? I understand you won't always have the decision power to make over the whole organisation, but you, in your role, can have an impact in those things. So commands, principles. Thirdly, we can look to Scripture for God's role models. Is there, are there people in Scripture that God says, I love the way this guy lived. So Rich prayed for me earlier, uh, David was a man after God's own heart. There's a sense in which David's held up as a role model. We're to be people who are after God's own heart. People that we can intimidate, uh, intimidate, <laughs> imitate. <laughs> Come on, David. Imitate in the workplace. So think of the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is the one who comes along and he finds the person down by the side of the road who's naked and beaten and bruised and battered and unconscious. And he's the one who takes him and makes sure he's cared for, and his wounds are healed, and there's money aside to look after that person. What does it look like for you to be a Good Samaritan in your workplace? For some of you, there will be people exactly like the beggar on the side of the road that you're like, I need to care for them. But for most of you, there won't be. But there will be people in your workplace who are chewed up and spat out by the line management system. There will be TAs who are overlooked in the education system. There will be schools that you work in that go through Ofsted and you come out the other side and everybody just looks like they've been punched in the face. And we're called, how do we care for those people? How do we come alongside? How do we bathe the wounds and, and look after those people in those scenarios? How do we act like the Good Samaritan? At the end of that parable, Jesus says, you go and do likewise. So how do we imitate the Good Samaritan? Or you think of the person of Barnabas in Scripture. Barnabas is known as the son of encouragement. He's the one who comes along and goes, you guys are doing a great job. You, you're fantastic. You, you're brilliant. You're amazing. I think you're great. You, way you did that, that was wonderful. How do you, you don't necessarily need to do that, but how do you bring encouragement into workplaces where, let's face it, most workplaces in the UK record a lack of encouragement being one of the kind of characteristics of their culture. How do we bring about some of those changes? I heard a story of someone recently who wrote, uh, they work in a bank, they wrote their whole team uh, as a, a card with an encouragement about what they do well. And they gave it out. It's quite a simple thing to do, quite a scary thing to do, quite simple. And some of their colleagues were in tears just because nobody had ever encouraged them in their workplace before. Our example can also be seen by other people. What we do can affect the culture that we're in. So commands, principles, role models. Fourthly, God's perspective on the world. I think this is really helpful for shaping how we 
are at work and how we make decisions at work. As we're making decisions, we need to be aware of the, uh, the kind of the place that our work has in God's big picture. Uh, Genesis 1, God's, God makes humanity in his image and he says, you have dominion, you have rule, you go out and create culture and society and communities and workplaces, you go and form it and shape it. That's, that's the big picture that all your work comes under. It's part of God's ordering of the whole world. It's how people are provided for, cared for, how societies and cities function. But then Genesis 3, what we see is there's a fallenness of humanity. We were given this great commission, and we still have aspirations towards it, but we just keep failing to meet it, which means work's hard. There's thorns and thistles. Uh, God says to Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you'll get fruit from the soil. So the big picture is my work's really important, but I can expect it to be difficult. And I want to counsel the people aged... 30 and under, because I'm 31, which means I can speak to you and everybody over the age of 31, I can't. 30 and under, you're a millennial. You've been told you're special and you've been told that somebody's going to come along and they're going to give you the perfect job and the perfect job's not going to be hard. And that's a lie. You are special in God's sight in a different way. But actually the workplace is going to be hard. You're going to have lots of jobs which are not going to be easy where people are not going to think you're amazing and when you're going to have to knuckle down and by the sweat of your brow take home a fairly meagre paycheck and you do that for a number of years and that's okay because that's how work is. It doesn't mean you can't move jobs. It doesn't mean you can't aspire for more in the workplace but sometimes it's okay to be in a job that's difficult. That's God's perspective on work. Important but difficult but also there's a coming kingdom. Yeah? There's a coming kingdom. It's near, it's at hand, it's appearing. And that means we can have faith for what God can do in the workplace. God brings change through the workplace that affects society, that affects cities, that affects communities. And we get to play a part in bringing some of that change. The last thing I want to end on. Um, If we think back to the decisions that you're facing, you can look for commands and principles, role models, God's perspective on it. But what are you aiming for through your decision-making? What's the purpose of the work that you're trying to bring about? And this is the one thing, if you take nothing else away, I want you to take away this. The major thing that I want us as a church to be aiming for in our godly decision-making is that we're pursuing righteous decisions and righteous solutions. What do I mean by that? Solutions which are just which are above reproach and which are transformational because they're really rare in the workplace. Why are they rare? Because those kinds of changes often require sacrifice. They're the hardest to bring about. They require a willingness to be shunned, a willingness to face opposition. Everyone feels it when they live under an unjust system, but not that many people are willing to risk everything to try and change it. I think as the church, we're called and we're equipped to risk in order to bring change and transformation. We're enabled to lay down 
what other people may be unwilling to lay down for because we have Christ and therefore we're able to bring transformation in the workplace. In the workplace. These are the changes we're to pray for, push for, risk for. These are the changes God brings about through his coming kingdom. It may be you only face this once or twice in your entire career or it may be that you feel like you face this every single week. And I want to say God is on the side of those who, produce, who pursue justice and righteousness. Um, there's a film which I love called Amazing Grace and there's a scene at the end of it with John Newson and William Wilberforce and William Wilberforce, I don't know if this ever happened but it's in the film, William Wilberforce says to John Newton, should I try and take down the slave trade in Britain? And John Newton says, you won't come away clean, you'll get filthy with it, you'll dream it, you'll see it in broad daylight, but Wilbur do it for God's sake, do it. There's a sense in which William Wilberforce is ready to lay it all down to bring down an unjust system. And Jesus calls us his church. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Amos 5.24, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. As we go into the workplace, we're partnering with God, filled with his spirit, given the wisdom of God, the guidance of God, to bring about the justice of God. Amen. Can I pray for us? I'd love you just to hold in your mind the decisions that you're facing at the moment, whatever that might be. And I'd love to just pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us and equip us for whatever the next season of work looks like for us. Holy Spirit, pray for my brothers and sisters here. Pray for the church as they uh, hold before you those things that they are wrestling with at the moment or asking big questions about the nitty-gritty of work or the bigger perspective of where their career is going to go. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come now and speak words of truth, words of hope, words of direction and wisdom to them. But Lord, I also pray that you'd come and speak to us about what it looks like to lay our lives down, to seek you and to seek your righteousness and your justice to bring change in our workplaces that affect our colleagues, our communities, our city, our nation. Let us be a church that's ready to lay it all down so that you can bring your kingdom through our sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can we thank Dave? Great. Um, we're just going to get set up here. So while we do that, I want you to turn to a person next to you and say, what's the one thing that you're going to take away from what Dave said and put into practice? All right? What's the one thing you're going to take away and put into practice? Awesome. Well, there was uh, lots of food for thought there, and those are conversations that I hope we'll be continuing with uh, as the service goes on later on as we enjoy some food together. Um, but if I could have your attention just for a moment, because now I get to uh, invite up our panel. So panel, would you come and join me? Let me give a round of applause to Paula, Matt, and Nick. Awesome. Well, grab yourselves a seat, guys, and we're going to have a little chat. Um, well, 
these guys are all involved in different areas of education. Um, and we all know that, well, many of us, if not all of us, are involved, or are the, I guess, on the other end of the recipients of education at some point. And we know, don't we, when it's done really well. And we also know sometimes when it's done badly. Like, educators can make people feel like a million dollars, or they can make people feel pretty small. And uh, these guys, I guess, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how they go about their work in a way, as Dave's just said, in a way that, I guess, brings those kingdom values into the workplace, into their classrooms, into the various different things that they're involved in. Um, so firstly, um, you guys use that mic, you can pass it between you. Um, why don't you tell us, each of us, um, who you are, where you work, and what you do briefly. My name's Matt. Um, I'm a French and Spanish teacher in a secondary school in Harrogate. Um, my name's Paula. This feels a bit like Blind Date or something, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> not really. Hopefully not. <laughs> um, <laughs> my name's Paula, and I'm currently on maternity leave, caring 24-7 for the screaming child that um, Dave mentioned. Um, but when I'm not doing that, I teach English as a foreign language, um, and I work um, primarily at a refugee charity, teaching uh, refugees who want to go to university or work in a medical profession, and they have to take an exam, and I coach them for the exam. Hi, my name's Nick, and I work as a Christian schools worker in Wakefield for a Christian charity called Cross Project, which means we go into schools and do pastoral work and take RE lessons. Great. Well, uh, now we know what you do and who you are. Uh, Matt, why don't you start by just telling us why it is that you went into secondary education? What do you, what do you love about your job? Um, I think firstly, I really enjoy spending time with young people. They are very entertaining, quite unpredictable at times, but fun uh, most of all. Um, I do see it as a real privilege um, to be a godly influence on the next generation, uh, on the young people in our country. Um, and then there's just so much to get involved with. You can run a football team, train trainee teachers, mentor trainee teachers, go on trips, both in the UK and abroad. Um, so yeah, there's loads of opportunities if you've got the time, if you find the time to uh, get involved with those. Great. Paula, for you, uh, I guess yours is so varied, the things that you actually do, and you're working with people from pretty tough backgrounds, about tough journeys. What is it you, you love about it? Why do you choose to do it? Um, I meet people from all over the world, so I might have a classroom with like 10 different nationalities in. Um, so it's just really interesting. You learn all about different cultures, like some of my Saudi Arabian students tell me they drink camel milk for breakfast. Who knew you could drink camel milk? Um, some of my Sudanese students have 15 siblings. Like We just have really interesting conversations. There's never a dull day. Um, and also, because um, they're refugees, they're just desperate to like, get on with their lives in the UK. Um, and so they're just very motivated and really engaged in class. And it just makes it really rewarding. So it's good fun. That's great. Uh, Nick, you work for, obviously, a school's work charity. So it's a little bit different um, for you. What does it make? What really makes you tick? What do you love about uh, getting to do the things you do? Okay, well, I think uh, there's a couple of things. One, I love through our pastoral work that we're able to see young people grow in self-esteem and also just be able to deal with some of the difficulties and problems they have, whether that's low self-confidence or anger issues. Just seeing transformation is amazing. 
Uh, but perhaps most of all, I love the fact that we get to share with them the gospel. So every time we do our re-lessons, we get to share something of who God is and God's plan for their lives. And uh, especially at Christmas and Easter, where we get to do over 100 lessons, sharing this is the Christian message, this is why it's a big deal, this is why we celebrate it. Well, being able to do that and kind of connect young people to God, that, that's just a fantastic privilege. That's awesome. Um, so we, we, we know now what you all love about it, the opportunities that you get in lots of ways. Uh, but I know that there are going to be challenges because uh, we hear it all the time, don't we? And as you alluded to earlier, Matt, uh, kids can be unpredictable at times. Uh, can you tell us about a couple of those challenges? Indeed, yeah. First of all, uh, <laughs> how long have I got? <laughs> um, First of all, the, um, the workload is something that can be a challenge, the balance between wanting to do a really good job but not working too much, uh, particularly in terms of my faith. I want to prioritise evenings, mission group, discipleship triplet, spending time with friends at church, non-Christian mates, family, etc. And when you're a bit of a perfectionist, uh, there's always that extra little something you could do in a lesson or mark something a little bit better. So that can be a challenge. Uh, and then secondly, as you've mentioned, Rich, uh, managing behaviour. Um, these are teenagers. Um, it's tricky. Um, can be really hard at times. And that's not something that I particularly find easy. Something I've had to work at, and I'm still working at. Um, and just one little story, um, just to kind of give you an, uh, an eye into some of the bizarre interactions you can have with young people. Um, a couple of years back, I was uh, having a, f a firm but fair um, word with a year nine girl. And she, uh, she turned around and she asked uh, whether it was my time of the month. <laughs> Well, well, let's stay with Matt for a moment then. Uh, <laughs> no, um, will you tell us, uh, Matt, so if those are some of the challenges, I could have gone anywhere with that, couldn't I? If those are some of the challenges, um, what is it about you, because you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, we believe that our faith makes a difference everywhere that God takes us in our lives. What is it about your faith, what is it about the truth of the gospel that means that you're able to deal with some of those more tricky situations? Um, yeah, so on that note of behaviour management, um, I want to discipline in a different way than, than others maybe do. Um, so how can I, as a Christian, discipline in line with God's character? God um, lovingly but firmly disciplines us as his children. He affirms who we are. He affirms our, our identity as his children. And then he shows us a better way to live. And I want to take something of that into the way that I discipline. So I want to affirm and then correct. I want to call out the potential in those young people. I want to show them that they're worth more than the things, those things that they're choosing to do. Um, so you, you are an intelligent young person. You're a polite young person. Yet I'm not seeing that in the way you're behaving in, in my life. Lessons. And I, I definitely don't go, always get it right. So I get it wrong sometimes, you know. I definitely don't. Um, it's not every time, and it may not be as explicit as that. But I think knowing that God's put me in this position as a teacher for a reason, mm -hmm. and that I can be this godly influence on the kids, and I can um, discipline in this godly manner, manner um, that really encourages me when it can be difficult. That's encouraging, isn't it? That's great to hear. Um, Paula, for you, uh, what are some of your challenges day to day with the people that you're working with? Um, lots of my students have quite chaotic lives, um, so they don't have much routine or stability, and that can mean their attendance and their punctuality is quite poor, which if you know me, I find that quite frustrating. Um, and also, um, in some of their cultures, lateness just isn't perceived as something negative in the way that it is for us, and so they might not even see it as a problem necessarily. Um, 
And then some cultures um, where they're coming from have quite a different approach to education. So they might be used to quite a kind of teacher-centered rote learning approach. And they come here and it's all interactive and, uh, you know, student-centered and look, we're looking to encourage autonomy and they just find it quite difficult um, to adapt to that. Um, and similarly to, to Matt, as I asked, what is it about your faith that means you'll be able to deal with those challenges? Like, what is it about you doing that role rather than somebody else who, I guess, doesn't follow Jesus, doesn't have your faith? How are you equipped to deal with those challenges um, from, I guess, a place rooted in the gospel? Um, so at face value those challenges can drive me absolutely mad um, and I regularly have to ask God to help me um, to be patient and just remove my cultural lenses um, just so I can see what's going on behind their behaviour um, so I can feel quite offended when a student comes consistently half an hour late um, and that they're being quite rude and disrespectful but perhaps in their country um, it's actually expected that you don't arrive at the scheduled time. You know, if someone said, come to my party at 8 o'clock, you'd probably come at 9 o'clock. Um, and, and for some cultures, that, is, that applies to all sort of events. And so I have to remind myself of those things. Um, or students often uh, ask me things all the time, you know, maybe definitions of words. Teacher, what does this mean? Teacher, what does that mean? Um, rather than, like, trying to look it up in a dictionary, find it out themselves, and... Um, I can find that quite draining, um, but actually in some of their cultures it would be rude not to go to the teacher first of all. The teacher's sort of seen as the fount of all knowledge. And so just... Um, Is that not true about you? About uh, me? I, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I I'm pretty good. I was told different but... <laughs> from James. Where's James? Um, oh, I'm totally thrown. Sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, I guess knowing that... Um, the truth of the gospel is that there isn't one culture that's right um, and the others are wrong and we can have a kind of attitude that our culture is right and everyone else has got it wrong and that's not true um, and so I just have to ask God daily for grace patience and understanding um, to not get frustrated but on the flip side they're also um, trying to forge a life here work here study here and so helping them understand that uh, lateness will have consequences you know if they go to seminars late consistently or whatever um so just trying to help them assimilate but also be understanding of where they're coming from that's really good paula um nick me and you uh, actually used to work together didn't we oh, so we did. that's maybe one challenge that you don't have anymore um <laughs> no, however tell us about some of your current challenges and things that you're doing in school so, um, actually, a, a bit like Paula, actually many of the young people that we uh, are interacting with do have really chaotic lives. Yeah. So, uh, we are inputting into young people who uh, have home life, which are very unstable, very tough, a lot going on. And I think what makes it even harder is that schools are under so, so much pressure. There's so much pressure and strain on them for time, resources, finance, and um, especially academic results. Uh, they've got to get the result. There's all the focus on that. Yeah. And the result of that is that the holistic side of education can seem to get a little bit squeezed out. So the work that we do, the uh, spiritual side and the pastoral side, very often can start to be squeezed to the margin and kind of seen as optional extras in education. Um, so thinking a little bit now, so we've heard why you do it, we've heard what some of the challenges are and how you deal with them and with your faith. Uh, lastly, I guess starting with you, Matt, what 
do you think the real opportunities that present themselves for you as a follower of Jesus in your workplace, what, what are they? Um, so one opportunity um, around this time last year, I was asked if I'd be willing to do some assemblies. Um, now, public speaking is not my favourite thing to do. Uh, getting, up, getting up in front of 32 kids, absolutely fine, but make that hundreds of kids or hundreds of adults in this room is not my favourite thing to do. So I wouldn't normally have been... Keep smiling, guys. Keep smiling. <laughs> yeah. Bear with me. I wouldn't normally be the first person to volunteer for something like that. But um, I thought about it and uh, prayed about it. And I felt God was calling me to be uh, obedient in it, to, to step out in my faith and to trust him that he'd be with me as I, as I attempted to do these assemblies. Um, so as you're aware, assemblies in schools... Um, usually uh, uh, viewed quite favourably. It's a good opportunity to share uh, values and morals. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit more than just values and morals. Um, I work in a Christian school, um, and I wanted to, to share some more than that. Um, often, though, in Christian schools, uh, pupils here kind of do this, don't do that, live in this way, live a Christian life, and they don't hear so much of, this is what God thinks of you, God loves you, and what um, thinking on that. So as a Christian, I wanted to share a bit more about the God that created all of these kids and how much he, he loves them unconditionally. So fast forward a year, um, and I've done three assemblies, which I think got progressively better with time, uh, each one. Um, but I think something that really encouraged me was um, knowing that even if I had completely failed, even if my assembly had been an absolute disaster, I, I would have failed in, in stepping out with God. I would have failed in honouring God, in being faithful. Um, and that really encouraged me before doing those um, and for future ones that I may do. That's brilliant, Matt. Really good. Um, Paula, you're not standing up in front of 32 or 150 children, but uh, you do have different opportunities. Um, tell us about what some of those that present themselves for you are. Um, so lots of my students have had really horrific experiences in their countries, and when they come to the UK, initially the only experience they have mainly is like home office or job centre. It's quite sort of task-focused. Uh, the staff, because they have to, can be quite focused on targets rather than thinking about the individual and you know what situation if they come from um, and so although I have students kind of coming and going a lot I really try to always learn their names like learn a bit about them and you know what are their hopes and dreams what do they want to achieve I try to get to the classroom a little bit early just so I can have those moments to chat to them um, and I found that um, doing that has improved my student retention um, and that's sort of uh, been noticed um, within the charity and um, has meant that uh, the manager, you know, has said, oh, you know, how come your students stick around and um, what can we do in other classes to encourage that to happen and, and that's, you know, just from I guess bit trying to be like Jesus in the small things and just learning people's names and it has had like quite a big impact so that has been really encouraging um, and um, the course that I teach is not funded by the government um, and so I have quite a lot of freedom in terms of sharing my faith um, and so uh, I have lots of Muslims in the class and a few Christians and so um, when we're talking about what's going on in their lives I'll often you know if it seems appropriate say oh yeah you know I'll pray for you and um um, I try to just invite them to stuff like to the international service or share English when we ran it or um, the carol service and lots of students have come to things over the years and 
we had a couple of students come to the international service who then ended up connecting to Oasis Mission Group, which works specifically with refugees. And um, one of those guys ended up going on the weekend away, if you remember, and he just had such a great time and was like really wowed by our community. And um, the other guy, he um, his wife just had a baby, so James and I are sort of trying to keep you know connecting with them and um, bonding over the screaming 24/7 situation um so um yeah it's encourage you know those those explicit things but also just doing the little things as well has been uh, really opened up opportunities so that's great isn't it hearing about how being faithful in the small everyday things meant that paula got bigger opportunities to input into what education even looks like at that center that's really encouraging um for you, Nick, um, you've told us, I guess, a little bit about some of the opportunities already. I wonder if you could tell some more or maybe even a story about a young person. Sure. Well, the, the great news is that um, although the uh, education sector is kind of pressed on the thing, mm. that the opportunity is still there. As Christians, we're really motivated to keep fighting for and championing and saying that those are so important. But actually, there are still those opportunities. And it's great. There's so many stories I could uh, shared just two very quickly uh, but there are hundreds more um, one uh, was about a, a year eight guy that I mentored when I got him he was head of the or top of the negative behaviour comments and that's quite impressive when you consider year 11 10 and what have you by the end of the year of mentoring he'd managed to get out of the top 10 which oh. is a heck of achievement and just seeing how his attitude to education and being in school had changed was just fantastic because God is so bothered about the pastoral side of people just as much as the academic side. Mm. And that goes um, the same for the spiritual element as well. So um, at the end of our uh, Easter lessons, we took a feedback form and one of the comments the young people wrote really just stuck with me. And he, he wrote this, he's like, I always got Christmas, I can see why Christians celebrated that, but I never understood Easter. Why would Christians celebrate Jesus dying? But now I get it. I get how it gives us a friendship with God wow. and how great that is. So I can see why Christians are happy about it. And that just to me was like, yeah, that's why we do it. Opportunities like that, kind of sharing the good news and, that, and, and that's just amazing. That's encouraging. Sorry, I'm using my mic. That's really encouraging, Nick. Thanks for being willing to share those stories. Um, to kind of finish up with, I wonder, can you tell us how we can pray for you? because we've heard a lot about the things you're involved in, how we can specifically pray for you, but also for the area of education that you're involved in. What's the biggest prayer need? Uh, on a personal note, I think, um, as I mentioned, just the discipline, uh, that I can be a godly influence in the way that I am disciplining kids. Um, in terms of education in general, um, as our young people at the front here know, uh, we're very much in the middle of our exam season. Um, so I just pray for, pray for the pupils who are doing those exams, that there's less anxiety, less stress, and that they can do their best and know that that's okay, um, whatever happens. And then just in general, just for the um, educational syst education system that people who are in authority, they make wise decisions that do strengthen um, and not weaken our education system for the future. That's great. We can pray for those, can't we? Paula, how about for you? How can we pray for you um, and the area you're involved in? So, um, language teaching for refugees is probably the bottom of the government's agenda. Um, so, if they cut anything, that will 
that'll be the first to go. But there's loads of um, refugees who are really highly skilled and desperate to work, but they don't have the language skills. So just praying that that would be recognised and that money would be invested into it would be great. Um, and then it'd be brilliant to pray for those two guys that I mentioned who have connected to the Oasis Mission Group and um, just that they would keep exploring faith. And for James and I, as we meet this couple with the baby, that we'd sort of be able to build a friendship with them. That'd be great. That's awesome. How about for you, Nick? What can we be praying for? Yeah, um, so I guess kind of the, the biggest prayer would be that those opportunities continue to be there and that uh, as the pressure increases on schools that we'd still be able to go into schools and to deliver that pastoral work and to uh, share about Christianity. That's probably the biggest prayer. I think also prayer we're a small Christian charity so uh, funding is always tight so please do pray for, for that. We rely mainly on donations so real prayer that we're able to continue and even maybe extend the work. And I think uh, probably the biggest prayer would be that the young people that were getting to reach, that they would be able to continue that journey and continue to explore, and that we'd be able to have the link with the churches to signpost them into exploring faith even further. That's awesome. Can we give those guys a massive round of applause? Well, What I'd love it is if you guys could kind of spread yourselves out in a moment. Um, and if you're involved in education uh, in any way, I would love for you to stand now so we can see who you are, so we can pray for you. Is that okay? If you're involved in any, any kind of form of education, primary, secondary, the things that Paul is involved in, things with charities, would you stand now? Also, if you've got exams coming up, we'd love to pray for you. Would you stand now as well? That's awesome. We're going to spend some time praying. The band are going to uh, come and uh, join us. Uh, they're going to play. Um, but we're going to spend a little bit of time praying for these guys. So if you are stood around somebody who stood, would you stand? Would you place a hand on a shoulder? And would you pray that God would use them powerfully in the places of education where they find themselves? Why not ask them what they do as well? That might be helpful for your prayers. And the band are going to lead us. Thanks. Thank you.